Govindamadi Purusham Dhamaham Bhajami. So the verses go on from there, but it, we'll get a sense for these first few verses, which are very important in the teachings of Vaishnavism, that Krishna is a person, and he's not an ordinary person. We can trace back our origin if we say, do you have a father? Yes. Does your father have a father? Yes. And you can keep going back until you come to the Adipurusha, or the father who doesn't have a father. And we come to Krishna, and what are his characteristics? They're described as he's Ishvara. So it means the controller. So everyone has some little bit of control in their life, not that much. But Krishna has absolute control over uh, everything. He's the cause of all causes also. Ultimately, everything has a cause and it all originates from Krishna. That's the first verse. Ishvara Parama Krishna Sakchit Ananda Vigraha. And also describes that he has a body. Sometimes people think uh, the ultimate spiritual realization means to negate all variety of this world because we, as we can reason, see that matter is disintegrating at all times and therefore we find that it's an inferior uh, nature. And therefore one might then conclude that the ultimate realization is to negate all form and all variety and come to the state of impersonal uh, an impersonal state. However, the opposite is true. All the variety that's in this world is a reflection of uh, reality. And reality starts or is uh, assumed in Krishna. That is, everything emanates from Krishna and his form is the primal form. And his body is not material. It doesn't deteriorate. It's sect chit and ananda. It means it's eternal, it's also full of knowledge and full of bliss or ananda, unlike this body which is asat, achit, and nirananda. It's temporary, it's not full of knowledge, it's, in, it's ignorant, and it's also nirananda, it's not very happy, this body, that source of trouble. So the, the subsequent verses we chanted then, just in very uh, a thumbnail summary, talk about the characteristics of the spiritual world. Krishna's not alone there. He's surrounded by unlimited numbers of devotees who are blissfully engaged in his service in an unlimited variety of activities. And also, it's mentioned very practically that Krishna can't be realized just by one's own mental power or by becoming a yogi and becoming perfect at breathing or doing the triangle pose. One uh, who is engaged in devotional service with a, a melted heart to Krishna because of association of pure devotees, to such a person Krishna reveals himself. And he also, in these series of verses, revealed that Krishna has his own interests in the spiritual world. The primary of all of them is Srimati Radharani. And that's why we have Krishna, who's here playing the flute, uh, alongside Srimati Radharani, his female counterpart, with whom he's 
eternally fascinated and engaged in pastimes. And this is the origin of all spiritual truth, uh, which then is reflected in this world as the, the most interesting thing in this world is the attraction between male and female. However, because it's a, a, a reflection of reality, here it becomes a source of frustration, ultimately. Whereas in the spiritual world, it's ever-increasing bliss. And that's why we worship Radha Krishna, because together they are the absolute truth. And next to Radha and Krishna, on our altar, we have Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And is he, who is he? Sri Krishna Chaitanya Radha Krishna Nahi Anya. When Radha and Krishna combine together so that Krishna can taste what it's like to worship himself, because he realizes Radharani has more pleasure. The devotees have more pleasure because they're seeing m me and my beauty, tasting this, my sweetness by worshiping me. Why can't I taste that? And he said, well, I'm God, therefore I can. So he comes as his own devotee. And we see Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu here on the left. He's holding his hands like this, which means he's giving benediction. So if anybody comes here, if you ever feel down in life, ever happen, just come here and stand before Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and he gives you like, okay, here, take this, no problem. You take some benediction. He is Radha and Krishna combined together, which is a very esoteric subject matter that devotees uh, discuss ad infinitum, as Krishna's infinite. So that's uh, something about the prayers that we chant and the deities that we worship on the altar. And it's very important to have a temple to come to because it's so easy with all the box stores lining the freeway and all the duties that we have in life to forget about the beauty of the spiritual world. And the purpose of a temple is to walk in and feel the environment for oneself, that there's something otherworldly about this place. You don't have to understand it all, but if you feel the mood and atmosphere of the place, it goes into your heart, and then you think, yeah, that's nicer than Home Depot. <laughs> and maybe I'd like to go back there. We sing a lot of songs that are written in Sanskrit. Sanskrit is a beautiful language. It actually means that it's perfectly refined. It's not necessary to study Sanskrit to be in devotional service. You also don't have to know Sanskrit. But if you hear something about what it is, then you can appreciate a little bit the prayers. Many of the scriptures are written in Sanskrit. So it's a language that uh, lends itself uh, very well to uh, poetic writing and also prose and straightforward writing. But it's highly refined language. Why does it lend itself to poetry? Thank you, Prabhu. Because it's a highly metrical, and one can, one can arrange it in various ways so that it all works out. That's a little harder in English because there's so many ragged edges. It's a, English is a confluence of several different languages, and uh, they all have their exceptions to rules and so forth, lengths, and uh, be that as it may, uh, the songs we sing are those that have been passed down through the generations of teachers. 
who have sung them. And there's a phenomenon uh, described in the bhakti teachings that there's a way in which when we receive songs, mantras, and te- uh, other kinds of instructions from teachers who have realized them, they take on a different quality. And they become surcharged with a kind of spiritual energy. So in the system of practicing bhakti yoga, we don't do anything that's hodgepodge. We don't just uh, take from anywhere and throw it in a pot and mix it up. But we take the specific teachings that have been passed down and recognized and therefore authorized by various luminaries, teachers, and also uh, that follow and this is the prerogative of great teachers. They follow what the original scriptures say. They don't make up anything new. However, they may say things in a, in a unique way according to the culture that they're in so that people can understand it and more readily. So the next song we'll sing is a song that we inherited from uh, Srila Prabhupada. And before he would uh, sit in the morning and give class, well, let me just say that his schedule was such that he would uh, take rest in the evening for a couple of hours. Uh, Maybe around 10 p.m. he would go to sleep and get up at midnight. And at midnight then he would begin his work with translating his books. And this morning I was listening to one of Prabhupada's sessions. It actually was uh, just a few days before he left the world. And the uh, main Sanskrit editor, editor Pradumna Prabhu, who was one of Prabhupada's disciples, who learned Sanskrit on the fly. Prabhupada saw that he was reading uh, books about Sanskrit and learning the, the language, and then he would bring Prabhupada some translation. Prabhupada said, keep doing that. So Pradumna did, and he excelled and became Prabhupada's chief uh, Sanskrit editor. He's there, and several other devotees are there, and they're holding the uh, microphone, which was to a a device called a dictaphone. At that time, it was very advanced technology. And there was a way in which Prabhupada would look at the commentaries and the translation, and he would then give his uh, commentary, which is a way of... Uh, weaving together the various commentaries of previous acharyas and offering it in the context of a particular verse. And in this case, Prabhupada's lying on his back and because he's incapacitated, his physical body has basically withered to uh, become practically um, not functional, not fu- to being not functional. And uh, however, he was still... Uh, reading the commentaries, they were holding them over his face, and he would look at them, and Pradumna then would uh, say the Sanskrit, and Prabhupada would hear it, and then he would give the commentary. Uh, And the verses, you can read that, that's in the 10th canto, 13th chapter, the last verses that Prabhupada uh, was uh, translating and commentating upon in his last days. And so, uh, he would uh, create these commentaries, and every day uh, he was writing his books. In healthier times, he would go to bed at 10, get up at 12, and then all night long he was tra- translating, uh, usually by himself. 
And then in the morning, he would go out for a walk because he had had two heart attacks on the way to America, and that was on the ship called Jaladuta, water messenger. And then uh, he met a doctor who said, you have to vigorously walk every day for your heart health. So Prabhupada never deviated from that. Wherever he was, he'd go for a walk. Many devotees would go with him, and he would stop at intervals and oftentimes comment about current events or anything that he felt like commenting upon. Then he would come back into the temple, and he would greet the deities as we did earlier, and then he would sit down, and then he would sing this next song. This song is written by Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur, who is a uh, predecessor guru. So the predecessor gurus uh, passed down the message of Krishna from one to the next, and we uh, worship them all as being part of an unbroken chain coming originally from Krishna. And Bhaktivinoda Thakur is revered by all modern Gaudiya Vaishnavas as being the one, uh, as, as if like a relay station, the message of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had been somewhat, well, wholly um, obscured because, or perverted, because over time, it's the trend in the material world that everything degrades and falls apart. So he reintroduced Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teachings and was responsible for reviving the movement of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And so Bhaktivinoda Thakur then wrote extensively, over 100 books, and uh, he had uh, several deities that he worshipped in different places. He was a high court judge, like the Supreme Court, and they stationed him in various places, so he had a few places that he lived, and in those places he had deities. So he names them all in this song. So this is a song that Bhaktivinoda Thakur wrote to worship his own deities. And uh, it's a simple song, but Prabhupada used to describe it as a succinct description of the spiritual world. And that's why we have that picture above with Krishna in the spiritual world, enjoying with some of his devotees. So we'll sing this together, and then we'll uh, discuss the Srimad Bhagavatam. Jaya Radha Madhava Jaya Kunja Bihari Jaya Radha Madhava Jaya Kunja Bihari Jaya Gopi Janna Balaba Jaya Girivaradhari
Jaya Gopi Janna Balabha Jaya Giri Varadhari Jaya Jashoda Nandana Jaya Vraja Janaranjana Jaya Jashoda Nandana Jaya Vraja Janaranjana Jaya Jamuna Tiravana Chari Jaya Kunja Bihari Jaya Jamunati Ravanachari Jaya Giri Varadhari Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare 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 Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare.
And the next, we're going to um, say in the English a couple of prayers. They're called Mangala Charna. And this is done, uh, you'll find in uh, devotional gatherings, because uh, whoever is uh, speaking or involved in listening, and it's a 50-50 relationship. There's uh, those who are uh, given the duty to speak something, and then there's others that are given the duty to listen to it, and this creates a, uh, a bond between the speaker and the audience through which there's uh, cognition and awareness of Krishna. So this is one of the processes of uh, bhakti. It's, it's called shravanam kirtanam. Somebody either sings and everyone listens and then sings back, or we have somebody speak uh, what they've heard from their uh, gurus and from the Shastra, and then others listen. So equal duties, 50-50. Uh, both are needed to support the system. However, both speakers and listeners, before uh, speaking or listening, then uh, ask for permission. Because we don't take it for granted. In the modern scientific process, there can be a sense sometimes of uh, strength that I'm going to use a crowbar to open up the secrets of the universe. Let me just uh, get the jaws of life, and if it's strong enough, I can open it up and look in, and then I'll know everything, and what will be the result of that? I'll be a better controller. I'll have this knowledge through, I'll make a better iPhone. Apparently, we may have reached the pinnacle because nobody's satisfied anymore, no matter what you put on it. But in the mood of bhakti, which Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, bhakti mam abhijana anti yavanyashmi, one can only know the, the, the complete truth if the truth uh, personified, Krishna, reveals himself to us. So we approach in a humble mood saying that really, who am I to even be here? I don't deserve to be here. I'm a recipient of mercy, and that's the only reason I'm, I'm allowed in. And that now I'm humbly begging that please, may I have a drop of insight, mercy into your greatness so that I can serve you more. This is the mood of bhakti. And that's why you'll find in assemblies of devotees that uh, they say these prayers ahead of time. So the first one says, I offer my respectful obeisances unto my spiritual master who has opened my eyes, which were blinded by the darkness of ignorance, ignorance with the torchlight of knowledge. So right now I'm doing a series of talks about idioms. Idioms are kind of pithy statement, often or most likely they're cliché. In fact, we hear them so many times, we just let them pass by our ears. And uh, one of the idioms we have in English is, don't bite the hand that feeds you. Have you ever heard that? Did you ever think about that one? Don't bite the hand that feeds you? I mean, you're being fed and then it's like, Rawr! In fact, people show you know, all kinds of videos now is about pets. Or people, you know, they find a stray somewhere and it's like, come on, I'm trying to help you. And there's like, ah, bites the hand. So when we're uh, taking uh, instruction from a spiritual master who saves us, it's possible to have this um, phenomena uh, which is called punar musika bhava. So there's a story about this. 
So once there was this uh, person who was desirous of developing some spiritual stature. Uh, and it's uh, described how he became over, uh, overwhelmed by the uh, pride that he developed when he had received spiritual knowledge and thought that he was independent and therefore he lost it all. So it goes like this. A mouse of once went to a great sage and said that I'm in a really dangerous condition because I'm a little mouse, tiny little ears, whiskers, small tail. I go around at night and there are predatory animals out there that are very dangerous and, you know, could you help me? And Sadhu said, what would you like? He said, oh, I'd like to become a cat because that sounds safer. So he said, become a cat. And boom. And then he came back a little while long, uh, after some days and said, oh, Sadhuji. Sadhu means like a saintly person. And he said, please, uh, can you help me again? He said, yes. What can I do for you? And he said, please, uh, let me come a dog because the dogs are chasing the cats. He said, okay, boom, you're a dog. And then some while later, he came back and said, please help me again. I said, what's the matter? He said, there's tigers out there. They're going after the dogs. He said, become a tiger. And now the tiger started looking at the sadhu. He said, why are you looking at me like that? He said, I'm thinking I could eat you. And the sadhu said, again, become a mouse. And that's what the phrase punar, again, musika, bhava. Bhava means to become, so become a mouse. And so there's a, a, there's a way to uh, stay in the uh, devotional mood always. Never think, okay, now I've become the, the big teacher. Uh, and we say this prayer to remember that it's my spiritual master that saved me. But what's the spiritual master saying? Same prayer to his or her spiritual master that you save me. And this is the way that the spiritual vibration comes down. It's through the humble heart of each teacher. Not, none of the teachers think, oh, I am a great teacher. They all think that I am a humble follower. And that's why there's transmission and the message of bhakti can come down. So that's why we say this prayer. I offer my respectful obeisances unto my spiritual master who has opened my eyes, which were blinded by the darkness of ignorance with the torch light of knowledge. So don't bite the hand that feeds you. And also remember where you came from. And Prabhupada writes about this in one of his purports. He said, remember where we all came from. Uh, where were we before? Now that you've attained some status, don't start thinking like, hey, here I am. Uh, stay Stay in always in a humble position. And from that humble position, then you can always be in grace uh, by the mercy of Krishna. So this is the uh, main objective of the, of the devotees. It's called, uh, or it's described, the practice by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in one of his famous verses in which he said, you should try to be like a blade of grass. Oftentimes, I want to stand out. And I, I was like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. And he said, be the blade of grass. And the blade of grass, people walk across, makes a nice carpet for people to walk on, and the blade of grass is not going, hey, get off of me. It just bends, and it's like, yeah, please, put your feet here. 
And then uh, he says, uh, like a tree, be tolerant. If there are causes for provocation, like somebody insults you. In fact, I learned this the other day from a communicator. If somebody insults you, he said the, the topmost thing he's learned that you can say is, okay. <laughs> Why you stupid, rotten, okay. Uh, so tolerate. Uh, and always remain tolerant like a tree. And uh, always show respect to others, but don't expect any respect in return. If you can practice this, then you can do bhakti. You don't have to be perfect at it, but you have to be ready for it and practice it as much as possible. That's the sum and substance of the practice of bhakti, is to be tolerant, to be humble, and to give respect to others. Why give respect to others? It's not artificial. Krishna and the living entity are within the heart of every living being. So when we see that, then we uh, either mentally or bodily offer our, our respects. And it depends on the situation of each person, but we should see that that's the situation. Every living being is a temple, a walking temple. Some temples have become overrun with weeds and trees and all kinds of things, and others are pristine and clear, and you can see and hear Krishna coming out uh, through the, the voice of the living entity who is in, within that body. But in all cases, we show respect. And this is the sum and substance of the practice of bhakti. Also, to give up envy of other living entities. There's no higher religious principle, because if one gives up envy for others, um, then uh, one can enter into hearing about Krishna. And this is mentioned in the Srimad Bhagavatam itself, Nirmat Saranam Satam. It's meant for people who have been able to overcome envy. And that, that's a good place to be in life in which I don't envy others and I can simply hear. So uh, before we go into the uh, next stage of our uh, process of worshiping by hearing and chanting, let's see if there's any reflections or questions about the process or anything that you heard that stuck in your mind. Yes. So, Guru Maharaj, when, uh, you know, when we were, uh, you know, uh, seeing the de uh, to the deities, so you mentioned that uh, Krishna is the Adi Purush, which means that everyone has a father, but when we go to Krishna, he doesn't have a father. And yet he accepts Nanda Maharaj as his father. Uh, I, I don't know, I, at that point I was a little confused that, you know, he has no father, but then he has a father. So, I mean, the spiritual world, does he have a father, have a father? Well, you're not alone. Kunti Devi said a similar thing in her prayers. This is very bewildering how you are actually the Supreme Personality of God, yet you interact with the world. He's known as Janani Vaso. He, he walks among everybody else and acts like uh, one, of it, uh, one of the people in, in the clan. Yes, he has a father, but this is uh, uh, speaking on two different levels. One is we're, we're speaking about tattva. Tattva means to understand the categories of truth. Uh, there's things that, ex uh, there are categories of truth. And one of the um, uh, categories of truth that's very important is to understand that there is a God and I'm not him. And that uh, Krishna is, is that supreme controller. That's his 
eternal position, and our eternal position is that we're servants of Krishna. In fact, this is the first teaching that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gives to Sanatana Goswami, one of his chief disciples, a highly qualified person. And then he tells him the first thing is that Krishna is the supreme personality of Godhead, the supreme controller, and we're all servants. So understand that truth. Then you can understand the other category of truth, which is called rasa, or the way in which the absolute truth enjoys himself. And so relationships are the most enjoyable. And there are several different relationships that we enjoy and we see in this world. One of them is that we enjoy appreciating others. You just sit there and go like, that's cool. And that's called shantaras. You're not doing anything about it, but you just think like, yeah, I like that guy. And then above that, uh, there's an urge. You feel that's like, I should give him a glass of water. And then you get up and you get the glass of water and you bring it in. And that's called dasiras. And that's more active and it has more qualities to it because you get to do something for the person. And just above that becomes a friendly ras because the person you bring a glass of water to start noticing, hey, it's the third day in a row. He brought me a glass of water. And the person looks at you and goes like, I acknowledge you, you know, you're, you're doing something for me. And then they start to appreciate one another in a friendly way. And this is uh, one of the relationships or the truths of relationship that's there in the spiritual world is a friendly relationship between Krishna and others. And there are many varieties. It's not uh, that it's it's um, stereotype, but there are various um, categories of friends and deeper friendships and uh, friendships in the city, friendships in the town, and so forth. And then beyond that, there's a, a, a relationship that parents have with children, children have with parents, which is a, a very deep rasa. We look at it in this world sometimes and wonder, like, is there anything more intense than a mother's love for the child? In fact, oftentimes, the teachers of bhakti will point to the parent's relationship with the child and say, this resembles bhakti. Because you notice the mother, especially the mother, will be uh, on call 24-7 for the entire life of the child. Either physically present or mentally present. But the, the mother never forgets or is inattentive even for a second for the child, always thinking about the welfare of the child and things like that. And so uh, this, is, this relationship is there in the spiritual world also. In fact, that's where it, it originates. So uh, Krishna, in order to uh, appreciate that relationship and have rasa, which means to have the enjoyment of the relationship, because all enjoyment comes from relationship, then he acts as a child. And he has a mother, Yashoda, who's always worried about him. He calls one day, Krishna, I got a report that you ate dirt. And Krishna said, I didn't eat dirt. They're lying. And Yashoda, his mother, says, no, but I have two accounts. Eyewitness. Krishna said, okay, first of all, they saw that I was going to leave the playing and it was going to ruin the game. So preemptively, they said they're going to file a false claim that I eat dirt. 
He said, no, but your brother also, Balaram, he said. He said also. He said, Balaram's also lying. And he, she has this discussion with her little child. And there's a, a very sweet mood there because simultaneously we're talking about the category of truth we already discussed, which is Krishna's the supreme controller, but he's acting as a child. Of course, those who enter deeply within this enjoyment of relationship, they forget that he's the supreme controller because if that mood is present, then it's not possible to enjoy the mood of, but uh, it's true that he is the supreme controller. And all the inebrieties that, that we find in this world of being a parent to a child or a friend to a friend or a servant to somebody else, the kinds of obstacles that we run into that ruin the relationship eventually or that taint it to some degree aren't there in the spiritual world because Krishna is perfect. He's the absolute truth and he has all the features of eternality, bliss and knowledge. However, when he avails himself to these relationships for his own enjoyment, then his devotees also enjoy with him in these various relationships. And in that uh, category of truth, he has mother and father, and he engages in uh, these childhood pastimes and then pastimes as a young boy, pastimes as an adolescent. That's as far as he goes, because adolescence is where everyone wants to stay. But Krishna, that's his eternal uh, form as an adolescent. And then there are uh, relationships in this world that everyone's searching for on uh, whatever they're called, dating.com or some match, match.com. Everyone wants to match up with a male or female counterpart somehow or other because that we don't feel complete in the world until we have somebody to reinforce our false ego that, yeah, you're really cool. Uh, however, in Krishna's case, there's no limitation because he is really cool and he gets cooler every day that we see him. There's, uh, this is one of the, the main features of the, of the spiritual world is wonderment. And that is not because you have a different mindset or because you see the person in a new light, literally, but because Krishna's qualities are ever increasingly beautiful and wonderful and therefore uh, those who enter into a loving relationship with him as boyfriend, girlfriend, and so forth, they're always seeing something uh, new in him, and they're enjoying the, that kind of intimacy. That's something that takes a while to understand, because people say, yeah, I get it. That's, uh, well, what, that's what I do. That's not what you do. It's completely different. It's a completely different category, <laughs> because... What I do in this material world in, on these various relationships is in relationship with the body and it's based on my illusory concept that I am my body and they are my kith and kin and that this is my lover and so forth. And it's, uh, you may say, well, they're both metals, but one is gold and the other one's iron. So the uh, relationships we talk about, Krishna having a father and mother, these are part of the esoteric truth of Krishna in the spiritual world called rasa tattva. And when we talk about Krishna having no father and mother, this is uh, another category of truth where we're talking about 
the ontological position of God and Krishna. Is that right? Okay. Is there another comment or question? Yes. Hare Krishna, Guru Maharaj. Uh, yes. Go ahead, Nanavari. Accept my humble obeisance. Thank you, Hare Krishna. Please accept my humble obeisances to you, um, Jai Shila Prabhupada. Thank you for a wonderful class. Um, my question is, um, when you just mentioned that Chris, we have relationship and different type of relationship in material world, and I know Krishna is a different one. So should we, when we are maintaining, um, I know this is not good, like it's then it says we are enjoying, we shouldn't be enjoying this relationship because it's, material but then how do we difference like we should not enjoy this even though i know it's not good but how do we understand i know krishna has spiritual but when we have like motherly or uh, friends any kind of relationship in this world uh, would you talk about it please i know it's a silly question but i always had this question in my mind we give $100 for each silly question. Let me check and see if I have it. Unfortunately, yours doesn't qualify for the $100. Uh, we're in a conundrum. We're living in material body. We already have relationship with the material world. Nonetheless, we've begun to awaken our relationship with the spiritual world, meaning with Krishna and all of his associates. Therefore, we have dual citizenship. And that uh, requires balance. Therefore, as we're practicing devotional service, we have to be aware of how to artfully live in both worlds at the same time. It's not possible to give up our affection for family. Uh, and if one does try to do that artificially, uh, he or she will snap back. Just like people who say, I'm gonna fast. I'm overweight, I'm just gonna fast. I won't eat for three days. And then you see them uh, four days later and they're eating popsicles. <laughs> Creamy popsicles. And a lot of them. Because the senses are like um, very demanding characters. And if you cheat them, then they come back and they say, give me more. You cheated me and I know you cheated me and you know then I know you cheated me, and now you're going to pay. So one has to be very careful how one walks through the world and performs devotional service. And therefore, uh, in our relationships with our family, with our children, with other people in society, we have to uh, maintain uh, a level of, of uh, appreciation for the fact that they have feelings. And I also have feelings. So 
Krishna says in the Srimad Bhagavad, Until one has developed a complete taste for hearing and chanting, then one has to very artfully maintain the uh, protocol of the material world. And how does one do that? Well, there's different levels of realization. We should have spiritual strength that as we're interacting with family members, with members of society and so forth, we should have an, uh, an abiding awareness that actually uh, we are just passing through. We're all in this together. Meanwhile, if I try to project that to my family, and for instance, if a, a, family, a mother and father say to their child, you know, you're not really my child. You're just a living entity. And so snap out of it and, you know, be more spiritual. If you withhold love or affection from children, it's kind of like fasting from just saying, I'm going to fast. And then later you'll be eating popsicles. So you have to uh, understand how everyone has psychological, emotional needs. And therefore, part of being in devotional service is to be able to artfully stay in the world that you're in now and in the context that you're in now and enact, uh, interact with people in, in a, a reasonable and responsible way. Responsible means uh, you parents have to give affection to their children. Spouses have to give real affection to their spouses. You have to give attention to your boss, otherwise you'd be fired. It's like, man, yeah, I'm busy, I gotta chant my rounds. And they're, they're like, I don't know what rounds means, but I do know what it means that you didn't show up for three days. So uh, you're fired. So we have to walk in both worlds, and therefore, the Sri Shapanishad gives us this commonsensical advice, vidyam cha vidyam cha yas. And the meaning is? Roughly, okay. One who can learn the process of nescience and knowledge side by side can transcend this world and attain immortality. And how does it relate to our conversation? Um, it relates to our conversation because we were talking about two different things about knowing that um, all of our relationships, or like the only lasting relationship is with Krishna, so that's actual knowledge. And I guess we can compare nations to being um, still involved in bodily relationships, but being able to maintain a balance of both, a healthy balance of both, is where you'll be fulfilled. Nicely done. Thank you. However, as one uh, walks through this world and the different phases of his or her life, he or she will notice that uh, one's heart begins to change simultaneously, one's external situation in life begins to, to change. This is the genius of the Varnashrama system. There's a category uh, recognized for uh, the phases of life for every person that you can fit into. For instance, in the beginning of life, one is uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and wants to learn things and can learn things very readily and uh, goes into an ashram situation where there's no distraction. Just like our Anshu and Balaram just came back from 
Denver, Colorado, where they entered into the Brahmacharya Ashram deeply. And uh, is Anshu here? Uh, Anushree's here. Did he like it? He wanted. He wants to go back. <laughs> okay, nobody else can go out. To, uh, he wants to go back because there's a sense. Well, tell us what anything you can say. What did he? What did he feel? Why does he want to go back? Uh, he said the devotees were very like caring and loving towards him, and they like accepted like they treated them like special guests, and then also. <laughs> um, he said they were planning when to go back next already, so that was, yeah. That's indicative, right? Thank you. So um, in the early life, when one gets an opportunity to uh, perform devotional service without any distraction, distraction means making money and uh, uh, lovey-dovey, uh, all kind of lovey-dovey stuff, like, hey, you like me? I don't know. Do you like me? <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Should we? Shouldn't we? Yeah, blah, blah, blah. You know, and all that stuff, major distraction. You save that until you've finished your, uh, you know, you know, everything that you can do for giving full concentration, recording it all, taking in that love from the devotees who have no other agenda in life except just to serve Krishna. You should know what that feels like because you keep that with you the rest of your life and you know, like, I'm happy. I can be happy. I don't, you know, it's not theoretical that you don't have to, no calculus and and uh, be the top earner in the in the country to be happy. Prove yourself in any other way. You can be satisfied with a little mat and a set of bhagavatams and sit down and eat kitri with your friends. Bas, kirtan, you're happy, and that comes in the beginning of life. And then even if you get it for a week, you'll carry it in your heart for the rest of your life, and you'll know that's real life. And then you go. Then there's a phase of life you go into, where it's a, uh, an envi- a safe environment in which you can enter into a relationship, man with woman, have children, and in that relationship you can thrive, and express all the emotions that are there within your heart for your family, for your 52 cousins, and uh, and uh, all that uh, all that's there. At the same time, you have permission within the, that ashram to maintain a very strong focus on Krishna. It's the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and my primary duty in life is to finish my rounds and so forth. Then, after that, you start uh, getting old, and uh, 60 is the youth of old age. 50 is a early, early time you can jump in and start transitioning more into... Um, let me just depend more on Krishna. Whatever comes, comes. And you can reason. Throughout my life, I've never starved. Throughout my life, I've never wanted for anything. I always caught a ride wherever I wanted to go, whether it was in the early days of hitchhiking or Uber. Everything's always lined up. Why do I have to work so hard? I don't need extra. I just need service. And then husband and wife can transition into that mode. And then um, for those... A special circumstances, if one needs a more focus isolation, you can even have an arrangement for sannyas and so forth. So the, all these are given as ways in which to move in the world, be protected in your practice of devotional service, and at the same time remain totally focused on the goal of life. And just as 
we heard from our pundit circle, vidyam cha vidyam cha yas, and explained by Avantika, the meaning of it. This is necessary, actually. We have to walk in the world. You're not going to just walk right out of it in a second. But as you're walking through, if side by side you perform devotional service, you'll get even more realization. Example, he's doing devotional service, let's say working uh, for a festival, very absorbing. What are you doing? Let's say you're making garlands. You've transported yourself to the spiritual world. You're sitting in one room making garlands with other Vaishnavs. And then the, the beauty of the situation. Why are we making these garlands? Because we want to decorate Krishna, his beautiful body. And then all you hear for three days is Hare Krishna. And all you smell, incense and prasadam. All you talk to, devotees. Then you walk out on the street and you see people walking along and uh, scrounging for a little happiness in life and you think, oh my God, this thing's still going on out here. And you see the difference, and then you have to go to work, and you walk in to Salesforce, and there's a huge screen in the lobby, and there's like, you know, like, produce more. And everybody's got this, you know, idea, and you're like, wow, this is, the contrast is stark. And so, and then you start to see how to categorize these two things, uh, work in relationship with them, and you figure out how the Bhagavad Gita teaches, don't give up your work, keep working, but work in an enlightened way, and you start to see, actually, this technology works. And therefore, you become very, very confident of yourself. And by the time the, the, the work in the material world diminishes enough, so then you feel this strength, yoga balena, that yes, I can, I can give myself more and more to the practice of devotional service with, without any uh, worries at all. I develop that strength. So th this is the... Uh, process that we go through to come to a perfect life and to leave the world in uh, full absorption of the spiritual world and of Krishna. Right, Prikashari? She's doing it. Okay. What else? Thank you so much, Guru Maharaj. Hare yes. Krishna. Very nicely explained. Thanks a lot. Hare Krishna. Who, oh, yes, Gita Priya. It was a tie goes to the runner on the last one. Um. I was also kind of reflecting on what Pavani Bhaktivatthi said this morning. Um, when you, um, like, for 30 seconds, you asked us to um, just be helpless, like, before Java Circle, and you asked us to just be helpless and, you know, like, kind of, like, just give it to Krishna. And I was, I was really, like, reflecting on that recently. Um, and I was, I was thinking that Krishna already, like, he already has your life planned out. Like, you don't need to worry about, like, your future because if Krishna wants you to have a good future, you'll have a good future. Like, there's no denying that. And I was just kind of like, why are you, like, so worried? Like, Krishna will, like, he, he will see to it. Like, you can just stop stressing so much. Like, I was, all, but I was like, okay, don't, like, don't, like, mess up your grades or don't, like, do, just, like, not focus on school. But at the same time, like, don't stress about it too much. Don't worry too much. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. Others in this vein. Um, oh, it is on. Sorry. Um, for the question, I believe it was Dana Varimataji that asked. That was something that I was really, um, I guess, earlier struggling with, trying to find, like, that balance between relationships here and, like, making them spiritual. And... I was listening to this class by 
Banya Gorangi Mataji, who's actually uh, like a, I think she's a family therapist or something. So she speaks a lot about relationships. And she was talking about how most of the relationships that we truly care about and value and love, for all of those, it's never actually related to the body because it wouldn't matter how they look. You love their heart and soul. So in order to cultivate relationships that are beyond the body and spiritual and actually connect to each other's soul, you can um, do like the six devotional exchanges that we learn about in the Nectar of Instruction, such as sharing your heart, doing anything spiritual, and that makes those relationships spiritual. Oh, yeah, such good points. Thank you very much. Yeah. Was that that interview? Was it an interview that she had? No, no, I don't think so. But I've also seen that. One. Seen the interview also. Yeah, she gives really nice points, and it's it's all it it also is a demonstration of being able to take uh, a uh, so-called worldly skill of knowing counseling relationships and so forth, and then when it's applied to the science of devotional service, then you get this uh, insightful balance that you can actually use because most people don't ask philosophical questions they ask questions about how do i make this work in my life in in, in my particular circumstance how do i make it work yes Hare Krishna. we need the tech team Hi, Krishna Maharaj, please accept my humble obeisances. Uh, my question is that on one hand, we are told that uh, we should see Krishna in everyone because Krishna is actually present in everyone. And on the other hand, we are asked not to associate more with non-devotees. So all the time we are not surrounded by devotees, but there are times, there are provoking situations when non-devotees say some things which we are not able to really digest and our vision gets blurred. So how to fix up our vision of seeing Krishna in everyone at all times. Well, give me an example. What is the kind of thing does somebody say that you can't digest? And let's see if we can digest so there was it my together. One of my husband's friend, he was just uh, telling one day that, you know, you read Bhagavad Gita as per the Pandavas. So I have Bhagavad Gita. As per the Pandavas? I mean, uh, it's basically uh, Krishna is actually uh, taking side of Pandavas because... Pandavas were right, and um, uh, he, he he was on the side of the truth, and he was not on the side of adharma or the Kauravas. He did not take side of karma uh, Kauravas and uh, did not fight on their behalf. So far, so good. <laughs> so uh, these people will will be telling that no, you do not know that Kauravas were also good, uh, the, things like that, and. I don't want to engage myself in those discussions at all. So I just told them that uh, I don't have that. He said the Kauravas are also good. That's what he said. They're both good. There's good people on both sides. <laughs> you know, sometimes people stay something like that. Go ahead. So uh, I told that if you want more uh, on this, more details on this, then you can visit the temple. Then there are <laughs> 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 many elevated devotees where you can actually get proper knowledge. I don't have that knowledge. So then after a while, I feel that um, I feel quite disturbed that why do they say so much about that Krishna was this, Krishna was that. He was flirty. He was this, he was that. <laughs> he was what? 
He was flirty and he was this flirtatious. He had so many wives. He right. Many okay. Well, this is a, um, probably you say a little bit of learning can be dangerous. It used to say like a little Sanskrit learning can be dangerous because sometimes people know, know a little bit and then because they know a little bit, but they don't have context for the knowledge that they have, then it becomes a little dangerous. So this is a, a very uh, particular problem for those who grow up in Indian culture. In fact, we see uh, a lot. I'm, I remember one incident when I was in Irvine, California. I was going door to door. And we were selling Bhagavatam sets and whatever else people would take. And so I went upstairs. There was a Gujarati couple. And they were very put-offish about the Bhagavatam. In fact, the, the, the woman of the house said, you know, these are all just stories. And... No matter how, how we presented or pleaded, they, ha they had a force field, uh, especially she did, around her heart. And her husband was like, whatever she says is, is whatever I, I have to do. So uh, I went away from there feeling dissatisfied. So I can relate to how you feel. I, I know how that feels. You feel, uh, uh, well, I wasn't potent enough to, to overcome that kind of, uh, you know, sense that like you know I already know everything and uh, I know you know and, and I don't want it that type of mood it's very frustrating right so then I went downstairs and there were these four uh, Muslim students from uh, some Muslim country I'm trying to remember what it was called um, Brunei or something like that Brunei and they had the traditional Muslim clothes on young students I think they were going to the San Jose State or something like that. And they saw me at the door, Doti, T-Lock and everything, and, they, and I said, Salam Alaikum. <laughs> alaikum Salam, Matava, Kifelak, Alhamdulillah, Allah Wakbar. And they were like, hey, come in, you know. <laughs> and we sat down. They were, uh, they're eating chicken and they're uh, drinking Coca-Cola. But then I started telling them about Bhagavad Gita. And I just said, you know, there is a supreme person, and there is a purpose to life. It's totally spiritual. And they were like, everything I said, they were getting so pumped up that, look, here's an American guy, and he's talking about God. And I just presented the Bhagavad Gita in universal terms, and they were all so ecstatic that every one of them bought a Bhagavad Gita. And they all wanted their own copy. <laughs> Not As you can see, it's them, not me. I said the same thing. I said it's everybody else. It's just they were open. So Krishna says this, Samaham Nami Priya. I say the same thing to everybody. But some people, like the Pandavas, can take it. Other people, the Kaurav is like, nah, not so much. I, I, I want to do my own thing. Dhritarashtra, you know, everyone went to him, uh, including Akura. said, you know, like you're blowing it big time. And he's like, I know I am, but I still got to do it. And this is a problem. That's the problem, the only problem. And th that's pervasive in the material world, so don't feel discouraged. People are like that in the material world because there's this deep-seated sense that I want to be independent from God. One thing after another happens in the sojourn of the life of living entity in the material world, the best of which is to meet a Vaishnav and get some sense that, like, wow, I actually like that person. And what are they doing? 
And then there's a kind of change of heart that takes place. It doesn't necessarily happen philosophically that you convince the person. No, no, Pandava's core of is different, this, that, you know, you don't understand. Of course, that can help sometimes with certain types of people. It's not stereotyped. But generally, after some time, people uh, develop a different uh, mood and change of heart. And they, they can become more um, receptive to Krishna consciousness. But it's not you necessarily, although we always, uh, when we go out to teach Krishna consciousness or go in, you're with your family and you're trying to impart it to other people. That's particularly hard in family context. People, I already got this down. I know what's what, and you don't tell me, you know, I tell other people. And in those types of relationships, it's not so productive to go into deep philosophical points. In fact, only when somebody actually has a little opening uh, do we find that it becomes productive. Even among students, those who say, you know, like, I surrender. And then you say, well, how much are you going to surrender? And like, how much can you hear? Like, uh, you know, you'll get a letter from somebody who's, uh, uh, you know, in a student relationship, and there's no question mark. Because like, I don't want to ask a question, because you might answer it. In fact, I had that situation with somebody who was, you know, wanted to enter into a marriage. It was an ill-advised marriage, and we sat, and he was telling me all about it. I didn't say a word. And then we sat there for five minutes in silence. Living energies are smart. They know. And it's like, and I finally it broke the silence against the, uh, what that rule, uh, what's that book called about war? The Art of War or whatever. Huh? Right. Yeah, you're not supposed to speak first. Anyway, I spoke first. I said, do you know why I'm not saying anything? And he said, yeah. <laughs> I said, you haven't asked a question. So how can I say anything? So, you know, you find that resistance with a capital R is there everywhere in the material world. So if you find it in your personal circle, don't be surprised because it's everywhere. You don't find it here so much because everyone signed up for it. They already figured it out. Bahunam jamanamante gyanavamam prapadyate. After many, many births of death, they're like, give me the sheet. I'm signing it. You know, <laughs> I'm signing up for this uh, relationship. Krishna, you speak. Representatives speak. I listen. And then I first accept it. Then I work it out. And other people haven't come to that. They haven't evolved to that position yet. So do not worry. Okay? All right. One, two. Hare Krishna Prabhu. As you were saying that I, I of course, have about 21 cousins, and I, had, I requested everybody that I'm going to, we can read Bhagavad Gita together. So I had about 10 of them come, and I was really fearing about a few things. I didn't want any of their parents to come because my aunts and uncles are not very, they, they have a lot of, they, they feel they already know a lot. But I did have a couple of the aunts and uncles come. And um, the first day we started doing Brahman Dharma Kshetra, Kurukshetra. And as soon as I started, the first, almost was almost one hour over. And then my uncle said, why do you always say Krishna did the right thing? Because uh, Duryodhana is also very good. So then I was, I was just fearing that, that thought. 
And then uh, I, I just try to explain him it went about all, half an hour. And then since my cousins stay in different parts of the world, we said, okay, we will meet next week and we will continue the discussion. So all my cousins were like, you know, chatting away like, wow, we're waiting for this war. Why? We were very excited. You're going to talk about uh, Arjuna being better. He's going to be talking about Duryodhana being better. Well, that was scaring me. <laughs> I said, I'm going to try to represent because my cousins are very open. They want to take, you know, whatever I tell. So... I was just praying to Krishna, and I, I went through all these uh, lectures about Duryodhana and, you know, uh, uh, Krishna. And the whole week I was meditating, praying. I said, I should talk sense. And I started talking that next week my uncle didn't speak a word. And I was just thinking maybe at some point he's going to go off. But at the end he told me that um, one thing I realized. I thought, no, I was so worried. He said, I think even though you're younger than me, I think you have read more Shastra than me. <laughs> I, it all happened because of Krishna. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can never imagine this happening in my family. So then he started telling my aunt. So my aunt is also coming regularly. But I just wanted to mention to you that I think, um, you know, not, not everybody is ready. But sometimes, even though I didn't want them to come, Krishna had a different plan. So I was so thankful that I could go over all the Shastric words or lectures I just wanted to share the room. Thank you. Um, and Prabhupada once said about Indians that if you scratch a little bit, right below the surface, you'll find the Krishna consciousness. I remember, I remember <laughs> just in my memory, I used to have this booth at the airport in San Francisco. And, you know, I, people come over to my booth or I'd call them over. And there was an Indian man and he's like, I don't believe all this, you know. He's, I'm an atheist and stuff. So, but I kept telling him Christian consciousness, and then gradually he was like, "Okay, I t I'll take it." <laughs> he was like, "That didn't, <laughs> he t that didn't take so long, you know. It's like right below, below the surface." And yeah, it is is important if you have a context in which you're the teacher and you can go on speaking, then these kinds of transformations take place. That's why. As they say, that's why we play the games. Otherwise, we wouldn't go out and teach Krishna consciousness. And you, you're always, I mean, it's the most interesting sport you can engage in. It's like, what's going to happen next? Who's the next person who's going to surprise us and say yes, and then the other person says no, then we don't know. But we do know that uh, people close the door on Lord Nityananda and on Advaita Acharya. It's like, oh, no thanks, not interested. So, you know, it's a glorious service. I just have a question, Prabhu. I was just thinking that in the earlier uh, conversation we were having, uh, like uh, Queen Kunti says that she considers all her relatives as um, parts and parcels of Krishna rather than somebody connected to her body. Well, I've been trying to remind myself this over and over again. But the thought, uh, I, I realize the difference between a person who is uh, totally Krishna conscious and a person who is more materialist. We, I'm looking at something for myself in, in the relationship in the material world. But in the spiritual world, I'm not looking for any, anything for myself. How do we get to the situation where even in the material world, with our own family or extended family, we don't look for uh, what we want? Um, go on with your Krishna consciousness, and all contexts and situations will change in time by the power of Krishna's mercy and, and the changing context as well. I've said it millions of times about this with my own family, so I won't go into great detail, but I had a relation, 
very close relationship with my mother and father, and my father left first, and then I was with my mother, and I, right before my eyes, I saw a relationship change. It was, it was not possible to impart any Krishna consciousness except for the example of my life, and of course, Nira Akula, she was very close to her, and so forth, but you know, at a particular time when the opening was there, as she changed, and she became no longer my mother, and she was a living entity inquiring and saying, uh, what do I do now, and accepted the process. And so if you go on, you'll find just like there's butter in milk, but you can't see it. But if you keep churning it, then all of a sudden, like, hey, it came out. So Krishna consciousness is a churning process. You have to keep churning, and then everything will clarify and come in its right category in due course of time, by the mercy of Krishna. Gandharvika. The sentence that you read three times at the beginning of uh, Japa workshop, it just got stuck in me, which is, and it was so encouraging. You said how um, the chanting of Hare Krishna removes unwanted habits. So, but I was just thinking on that, Prabhu. Then there is also we have this um, disclaimer at the bottom of the ten offenses, and how we chant. Um, all those things implied in that statement, or it's just it doesn't matter. I just keep continuing, and then the unwanted habits go away. Aparada palam papam kutam bijam. I'm sorry. Ap. Ap. No, 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 that's wrong verse. I'm sorry? No, no, different verse. I'm talking about um, if you're committing offense, go on to chanting. Nama parada yuktanam naman yeva harantyagam avishrani paryuktani nam yevarta karanicha. So Padma Purana says that if you're chanting with offense, the solution, chant more. There's an interesting twist to that because there's a way in which if you're making offenses, it's very difficult to chant more because you start thinking that, you know, movies look better than chanting. And so you have to keep going somehow or other. Don't succumb to this idea that if it's not perfect, then I'll, I'll stop doing it and do something else. That doesn't work either. So you have to keep the vibration going keep the transcendental vibration going. And if, if you can get the shelter of a Vaishnava and take a vow and say, I'm, I, I respect this Vaishnava, I'm going to work under this Vaishnava, you take initiation and then you say, okay, the Vaishnava said it, so I'm going, to, I'm going to fulfill my vow no matter what. Then you're safe for life because at least you have dry ground to come up to that no matter what else happens, I'm going to finish my vow. And then the, the perfection of the chanting, we have to adjust ourselves in our lifestyle as much as possible, mostly by getting good association. Put yourself in good association and naturally by the influence of the hearts of advanced Vaishnavas, then our hearts start to change and we start to value new things, just like within any other aspect of our life. Whomever you associate with, you'll become like, and that will become your values in life. And so... Um, Keep going. Don't stop. Do more. Try to 
uh, find times when you can chant more too. Like if you do uh, uh, some vrats, uh, everyone knows if you go to a uh, japa retreat, you come back a changed person. Three days and you come back and like, yeah, I renew it. Everyone's looking at you like, you're different now. Like, yeah, because I had different association, different focus. What if you did it for a month? What would happen to you then? Look what happened to Chitraketu, huh? Unwanted habits will go away. Yeah, and if if they happen to linger, then uh, don't be discouraged, because Krishna says uh, in the Bhagavatam that Jata Shradama Katasu Nirvina Sarvakarmasu Veda Dukatmakankamam Pritya Pyanishvara Tatoba Jeta Mamprita Shradalur Jadanishjaya Jushamanam Statankamams Dukodarkam Shagaryan. You can be a little bit. Um, uh, remorseful, but not pathologically, so that you said, like, I'm no good, and I can't do this. That's bogus. You can't claim, nobody can claim to be permanently unqualified. You can rise in due course of time, and you do have power of uh, decision. So just make the right decision, and Krishna will help you. Okay, so let's hear a little bit from the um, Srimad Bhagavatam. And then we'll have some more kirtan and prasadam for everybody in San Mateo, Santa Clara, Contra Costa, Alameda counties. Call your friends. Today, I'm going to read a verse, which is a perennial favor, favorite, from the Srimad Bhagavatam, first canto, a fifth chapter, 18th verse. I'll say, please repeat. Tasyaiva heto prayate to covido. Nalabyate yad brahmatam uparyada. Talabyate dukavadanyata sukam. Kalena sarvatra gabira ramhasa. Tasya. For that purpose, eva, only, heto, reason, prayateta, should endeavor, kovida, one who is philosophically inclined, lalebyate, is not obtained, yet, what? Brahmatam, wandering, upari ada, from top to bottom, Tut, that, labyate, can be obtained, dukavat, like the miseries, anyata, as a result of previous work, sukham, sense enjoyment, kalina, in, in course of time, sarvatra, everywhere, gabira, subtle, ramhasa. Translation. Persons who are actually intelligent and philosophically inclined should endeavor only for that purposeful end, which is not obtainable even by wandering from the topmost planet, Brahmaloka, down to the lotus, lowest planet, Patala, 
as far as happiness derived from sense enjoyment is concerned, it can be obtained automatically in course of time, just as in course of time we obtain miseries even though we do not desire them. Purport. Every man everywhere is trying to obtain the greatest amount of sense enjoyment by various endeavors. Some men are busy engaged in trade, industry, economic development, political supremacy, etc. And some of them are engaged in fruit of work to become happy in the next life by attaining higher planets. It is said that on the moon, the inhabitants are fit for greater sense enjoyment by drinking soma ras, and the pitra is obtained by good charitable work. So there are various programs for sense enjoyment, either during this life or in the life after death. Some are trying to reach the moon or other planets by some mechanical arrangement, for they are very anxious to get into such planets without doing good work, but it is not to happen. By the law of the Supreme, different places are meant for different grades of living beings, according to the work they have performed. By good work only, as prescribed in the scriptures, one could obtain birth in a good family, opulence, good education, and good bodily features. We see also that even in this life, one obtains a good education or money by good work. Similarly, in our next birth, we get such desirable positions only by good work. Otherwise, it would not so happen that two persons born in the same place at the same time are seen differently placed according to previous work. But all such material positions are impermanent. The positions in the topmost Brahmaloka and the lowest Patala are also changeable according to our own work. The philosophically inclined person must not be tempted by such changeable positions. He should try to get into the permanent life of bliss and knowledge where he will not be forced to come back again to the miserable material world, either in this or that planet. Miseries and mixed happiness are two features of material life, and they are obtained in Brahmaloka and in other lokas also. They are obtained in life. They are, they are obtained in life of the demigods, in the life of the demigods, and also in the life of dogs, the dogs and hogs. The miseries and mixed happiness of all living beings are only of different degree and quality but no one is free from the miseries of birth, death, old age, and disease. Similarly, everyone has his destined happiness also. No one can get more or less of these things simply by personal endeavors. Even if they are obtained, they can be lost again. One should not therefore waste time with these flimsy things. One should only endeavor to go back to Godhead that should be the mission of everyone's life. Om Tat Sat, Hare Krishna. Um, just to see if you have any points you want to bring from the purport. Yes. Give Raja mic, please. We guarantee a mic and. Ten seconds are left, or your money back from this class. I was just really thinking about the verse here. It says that happiness comes automatically, just like miseries come. So it, it's 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 just so 
It's fun, kind of funny because we all try for happiness so hard, but we never really try for miseries. So actually, we just um, become equipoised towards the miseries and and the uh, happiness. Then we'll actually be happier anyway, like internally, because we just know it's going to come. We don't have to strive either way. Um, anyway, it's just it's. I was just reflecting and thinking about how I try for happiness so much. I try to get my material situation together for for happiness so much, and I don't do so for the miseries. But but the, they they come anyway, and the happy and I can if I just like really take shelter of this verse that the happiness will come, then it just kind of takes a whole um, whole lot of. Um, Hmm. Pre- I guess pre- self pressure off your shoulders. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, I don't really have to try that hard for the happiness. It's just going to come anyway. <laughs> yes. Nice points. And I loved how you said being equipoised is important. And there's a phrase that I've uh, taken on that helps, to, helps me to remember that process, which is to be methodical but dispassionate in our works in the, in the world. Do your due diligence, because if you don't, then you can be waylaid from uh, the process of devotional service to some extent because you didn't do your due diligence and somebody catches up to you and says, you forgot to sign this paper, and therefore, dot, 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 fill in the blanks. Uh, But if you do your due diligence, but you remain dispassionate about it as you go forward, whether whatever result comes, that's up to uh, destiny. And uh, at least you did your due diligence, and you can go on with your process of devotional service. Yes, for the bringing more nuance. Manjula Kanta. Hare Krishna Guru Maharaj. Um, Maharaj, when we say that at happiness and... Um, what is the other one? Uh, miseries, they come of their own accord. I was thinking that even though, they, even though we strive for some, and we try to avoid the other... When they do come, we do experience them, right? We, we actually go through the misery or the happiness. It's not like we can avoid it just because we have done our due diligence. You know, there is this attachment to both these ends. Whereas the Shastra says, detach. It's a matter of consciousness. Because if, if one is in um, Krishna consciousness, one, although so-called miseries may come or so-called happiness may come, a person, as uh, we heard this morning, who has a higher taste, isn't really affected by such things. Truly isn't. And it's not a matter of just, like, I'm going to adjust to this. Uh, in d- as we're developing our devotional practice, uh, there may still be some heavy pinch that, yes, this hurts very much, and, uh, and it takes a lot longer to process. However, those who are already... Uh, experiencing a higher taste, although they may be interacting with the comings and goings of the modes of material nature, visiting us with their miseries and their so-called wind, the windfalls of life, a person isn't as affected by such a thing because um, their consciousness is not really married to the situation. I mean, that's where we have the problem is, this is my situation. But as an example, uh, Sri Uddhava was already 
engaging in the spiritual world as he was in this world. So if something happens in this world that um, he has to r wrestle himself from his engagement in the spiritual world to actually engage here. So I, I'm saying there are gradations. It's not all the same for everybody. But I do agree with you that we can't categorically just say that, well, because this is philosophically true, therefore uh, we're, uh, devotees don't go through anxiety. Uh, they may go through anxiety. But in that, there's a kind of fire that uh, helps us to come to uh, an understanding of how things work in the world, and that's where maturity comes from. Uh, one, two, three, four. Dandavat Pranam. Um, a few days ago, um, I, we were reading um, the uh, Jarabharat when he's talking to King Rahugana, and there's a line in, I think it's in the purport, I don't think it's actually in the verse, but I'm not sure, but there's a line that like after kind of the whole thing has happened, and they've Rahugana has really apologized for being such a terrible king and slightly and you know being so offensive and he's accepted and he's taking instructions there's a line in a purport about how um Jarabharat had in fact actually been a little disturbed uh, in his mind but not in his soul um I don't I wish I could find remember where it is because it's like three chapters but um that like like it said something about how like there's ocean there's an ocean and sometimes the ocean has some waves but the ocean is not actually moving or disturbed like it looks like it's disturbed but it's not. And um, this really struck me because I think sometimes um, when we see devotees even having interactions and somebody seems a little disturbed or upset, we can be like, oh, what does it mean to be equipoised? Or what does it mean not to feel your suffering? And um, the idea that like it, it happens, but it happens on a different time scale than the thing. Like the waves are moving, but the ocean is not moving at some level. Um, and so that came to mind from this point, and then the end of this purport, the very end where he's like the goal, this reminded me of a conversation I had recently with a devotee friend who's like way, way, way more serious than I am, and they were telling me about something, you know, some great suffering they had, and I was like, oh, this is, um, this is really, I'm really sorry, and then they said something like, well, but it doesn't, I'm not, it's not gonna deride, it's not gonna push me from my goal. Like Michael, the like they were very like, doesn't matter because I still have this goal, the most important thing. And they kept saying the most important thing is bhakti, and I was like, wow, I definitely am not there yet. <laughs> but um, um, but it was it's exactly at like the end of this of this purport. And so when you see that in somebody, you can at least aspire to. I I can at least aspire to it. Thank you, for, uh, excellent point. And that I've noted many times that section of Judd Bharat and where he becomes angry and expressed his anger. There's a difference, however. It's called productive anger. There's productive anger. There's an example of this given by Giri Swami in his new book, um, I'll Build You a Temple. It's about the Juhu story. And he notes uh, one day about how Srila Prabhupada had been inspecting the devotees' uh, living quarters. One of them, nobody expected that he was going to go up there. One of them, the door was locked, somebody got the key, they went in there and it was in perfect order. And Prabhupada was uh, appreciative. 
because it wasn't like they had time to get ready. So that meant he liked it when he saw that devotees were living in an orderly, clean way. It indicates the consciousness of that person. And then he w went upstairs, and there were some rickety stairs. He was going up. Everyone said, no, Prabhupada, don't go up there. And Prabhupada's like, I'm going up there. So he went up, and on the, <laughs> on the loft up there, there were some books, uh, transcendental books, that weren't being kept properly. I won't go into all the details how they weren't being kept properly, but they were really uh, in bad shape. And Prabhupada became extremely angry. Nobody was spared. And the devotees were afraid to, a few hours later, go to the darshan where Pra that Prabhupada gave regularly because they thought, you know, it's like we're going to, you know, he'd burn us to ashes. Now, what, now what's going to happen? And he went there and it was, it was it. And so Giriraj Maharaj notes the, the difference, the way Prabhupada got angry. Some people lose their temper. Other people use their temper because of being methodical but dispassionate. Yes, you can be angry, but not be touched by the contamination that comes from anger when you lose it. And it's similar with the miseries. There's a way in which the miseries of life, uh, we can look at them, absorb them. It's part of this uh, phenomena of vidyam cha vidyam cha yas. And not that they don't touch us, but it, there's a way that in which Krishna describes in the, in the Bhagavad Gita, brahman yadaya karamani sangam takva kurotiya. So this means that if your intention is different, the way you're working in the world, even if there was a cause to be, be smeared by the effects of the three modes of material nature, because your intention is, I'm offering this to Krishna, then you're not touched by it. It doesn't uh, affect you in the same way. And this is the interesting process. Devotees are not one-dimensional, and they're also not... Um, they don't. It's not that they don't exhibit. Uh, like even Krishna, after Kurukshetra, he's there in the first canto of the Bhagavatam um, with the bereaved families, and he's there with them, holding their hands. They're all going through it together, but it's different. It's still different. It's uh, it's the art of working in the world, moving in the world. Krishna says without being touched by it at all, but you learn from it nonetheless. It's it's productive. I forgot the order, but one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Hare Krishna. So, um, in the neophyte stages of Krishna consciousness, um, uh, when when devotees uh, or, or aspiring devotees go through suffering, um, in order to, in, in a me mechanism to protect themselves, they might become hard-hearted. So, what is... Um, what is the guidance you would provide to them to uh, avoid such a stage and, and maintain a soft heart so that we can still continue to receive the mercy of the Lord and you know, accept the association of devotees? What I've noticed is those devotees who early on find a senior mentor who's already been through a lot of stuff, who's mature. There's no replacement for maturity. You can't just manufacture it. Let's cook up a little maturity. And it's like, yeah, throw it on these people. Now they're mature. <laughs> That's why there's a parampara. Uh, the, you have to have mature people around. Mature means they practice it. They blew it ma many times. They know what it means to, to make a comeback. They, they're there for you. And I, no I notice the difference in people who have senior mentors. They're different. They're aligned uh, because... They have some uh, shiksha guru 
uh, you know, that's there for them that can, they can process, say, what do I do now? Now it's, it's real, this is impossible. What do I do? It's not impossible. Here's how, you know, here's how it goes. And if you have that throughout your life, then uh, you can avoid the um, ways in which you misinterpret Shastra uh, due to immaturity. And you take it in a way that is uh, not helpful. But you can see the nuance uh, by taking it from people. I mean, uh, you can read a lot about how devotees in the early days had all kinds of problems. And for instance, uh, Ajray Rishi Prabhu, who used to be the GBC for the Bay Area, is very productive several restaurants at the same time going on in San Francisco. And there was uh, a letter he wrote to Prabhupada saying like, I don't get it, the devotees are fighting. How is this spiritual? You know, isn't the spiritual world is no fighting? And if these people are so enlightened, why are they like, you know, <laughs> hitting each other? And Prabhupada wrote back and he said, it's because of the individuality of the soul. Who else is gonna tell you that? He said, because we're all individuals eternally, we have a difference of opinion. He said, even in the spiritual world, there's a difference of opinion. Chandravali's there, Radharani's there, different camps, and there's anomalies. He said, even in the spiritual world, sometimes Krishna milks a bull instead of the cow because he's so bewildered by Srimati Radharani. I mean, he threw in something so esoteric, but he explained that your idea, he said to Atrey Rishi, Prabhu's disciple, that there should be you know, evenness, no fighting, no differences, and things like that. He said that's uh, not only um, utopian, but it's mayavad. And so, like, what a perspective, a mature perspective of how to deal with infighting. Otherwise, I mean, millions of times, and millions of times a day these days, and all the police radios I'm on from around the world, listening to this conference, that conference, saying, squawk, listen to this guy, said that to this guy. And, and, you know, you could just say, like, hey, you know, what kind of spiritual thing is this? But I have, you know, th that guidance from the, the most mature Vaishnav who could tell us. So we have to have that on an ongoing basis in order to process all the different anomalies that we come across that seem like imponderables. Okay? All right. Thank you, uh, Vaisheshika Prabhu. So, in this purport and in this uh, verse, it talks about how these happiness and these miseries come of their own accord, regardless of how we are working. And there's a lot of propaganda, especially in the United States, to uh, bring us to the fruitive mentality, to give us the idea that everything is obtained by our work that we do in this life. And so this is, this is really striking that actually we, what we experience, a lot of it is not due to the, I mean, some of it is due to the work that we do in this life, but a lot of it is not under our control in this life. So it is ultimately under our control, but we've already been here for, you know, many lifetimes before. So right now, what we do is, is not necessarily going to lead to that fruit. And so that's another aspect in which if 
one is mature and one has worked for some time, then one realizes that at different periods of, of one's life, in one period, you know, one is working very hard and then the result doesn't come about. And in another period, one is working maybe not quite so hard and results come very easily. So one can experience that in one's own life or one can see that in, in other people's lives that, you know, someone is working three jobs and can barely make it and, and some other person is, is, you know, has a trust fund and they don't need anything. So that was my reflection from this, this verse. That this, this, can, this can counteract that, that propaganda which is there to, you know, for, for people who can take advantage of people's working very hard. Yeah, it's an excellent point. And I think people, after some time, have this realization that I've done everything I'm supposed to do. Why am I getting a different result? I mean, eventually, everybody gets that to one degree or another. And the only place to really take shelter is of this higher perspective, which comes in the form of this benevolent voice from the Srimad Bhagavatam. I mean, who thinks like this? As you're pointing out, there's propaganda. Otherwise, just lean into it harder. It's like, I leaned into it really hard. And it, it didn't uh, produce the result. But there's so much a comforting voice, actually, in this information that, that, that there's, a there's an aggregate of work that you've done that's calculated and which has caused the momentum into your life. And that gives such a reassuring kind of context of life. And it also helps to develop better qualities because then if one understands karma, then obviously you want to be avowedly truthful. You know, somebody gives you too much money and you run after them and say, here, take it back. And they're like, what? Uh, you know, no nowadays people don't have that uh, sense of causality. Those who are more, most advanced, they see consequences, what happens, and that I'm, I'm causing things to come back to me, therefore I'll be very careful in the way I work in the world. Makes for, this philosophy from the Bhagavatam makes for a better world, for better people. Okay, thank you so much. We'll just take two more so everyone can stand up and we'll have kirtan. Hare Krishna Maharaj. Hare Krishna. Um, so as as you are reading the purport, I remembered one presentation called "Is Everything uh, Destined in Life," and in that presentation, very systematically points out that uh, material life cannot be appreciably changed despite our hard work. Um, and then there is another point about, but our spiritual progress, there is no parameters to control or restrict. And uh, it goes on to say further, but by investing into your spiritual progress, even the material difficulties, you are guarded, safeguarded against them. And I remember another class by His Holiness uh, Bhaktira Samrath Swami Maharaj, he, pain is mandatory, but suffering is optional. So such a powerful uh, way to think about. And you yourself mentioned in one of the classes of how we can see the pain as, uh, as an uh, inter intermediary exam. Uh, death is like the final exam. And we are not prepared for it. And uh, in our youth, it feels like an abstract concept. And we, we don't really get the urgency to work on ourselves and improve spiritually. And uh, you mentioned how these middle pain points, they actually tell us how far we are from, from our uh, final destination. So, so instead of becoming morose, and we actually become uh, very happy that Krishna has given me an exam now. Let me see. I may fail. But uh, this is an opportunity for me to progress more. Thank you, Master. 
Thank you very much. Let's look up the word suffering. I know it has a, a very helpful etymological root to confirm the point you made about pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. Pardon me? Pain is mandatory? <laughs> suffering is optional? Yes. Um, suffering, um, it's a noun. It's the state of undergoing pain, distress, or hardship. Um, and it, um, it, it's from, it's originally comes from Latin sub, and then subferi, and then it went to subferi, and then... Means? Oh, it, so sub means from below, and ferry means to bear, and then it go, and then it went to subferi, and then it went to Norman French, which is sufferer, and then suffer, which is Middle English. Okay. You have anything more? Um, this is from the etymologic dictionary and um, suffering is a noun it means patient enduring of pain inconvenience loss etc mid 14th century undergoing of punishment affliction um, and then late 14th century verbal uh, it's a verbal noun from suffer which means a painful condition pain is felt okay not as helpful as I thought what pain is felt pain is felt okay yeah all right not as clear-cut. Govinda, did you have one last point? He has Shastra back there, as usual. Are you, don't give up so easily. We'll get you a mic. Hare Krishna. Sorry. So I just, when uh, uh, Sham Jagannath Prabhu was talking about how musicians don't touch devotees that much or don't affect I was reminded of the verse um, that Prahlad Maharaj actually says to Narsim Dev in the Stuti that uh, Right, so he says basically, I'm not disturbed by this material world. It's very difficult to cross this Vaitarani river. But because the reason is, my consciousness is completely immersed in uh, glorifying your uh, transcendental pastimes and uh, power. So, you know, this is a great blessing that devotees have, that everything will come to us, but uh, we, are, we have this sheath that cannot be penetrated, you know. Uh, Such an excellent point. The second part of the verse, Shoche tato vimukache indriyarta maya sukaya bharam udvahato vimudhan. He says, So, I'm not worried. I have no problem. But, Shoche, I'm lamenting. Shoche tato vimukache indriyarta. I'm worried about all the people of the world who are watching CNN and they think this is the whole thing. Or whatever the, you know, the counterpart of that is. But that, you know, everyone's wallowing in ignorance and therefore they're suffering. That's where my anxiety is. So a devotee doesn't worry for him or herself, but uh, worries because of the suffering of others. And this is the highest method of worshiping the Supreme Personality of God, and is to take that kind of anxiety. Uh, this is mentioned by Lord Shiva when, uh, or Shukadeva Goswami after Shiva drinks the ocean of poison 
And he says uh, about Shiva, tapyante lokatapena sarava prayasojana parama aradhanam tadi purushasyakilatmana. That this is the um, characteristics of the greatest souls. And that is, they take voluntary suffering upon themselves because of the suffering of others. They try to rectify it to help other people uh, by giving them spiritual knowledge. Om Tat Sat. Thank you very much, everyone, for sitting here at Naimasharanya for the discussion of the Srimad Bhagavatam. And now we're going to... Um, <laughs>